Going Postal Publishing and Christopher Chapman present The Going Postal Cast. Your source for weekly podcast fiction from author Christopher Chapman. For more information, be sure to check out www.goingpostalpublishing.com. You can also email the author at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. There is lots of violence, gore, blood, and the occasional F-bomb, as well as other naughty words that your mother told you she will wash your mouth out with soap for. And now, enjoy the story, or whatever nonsense I'm about to spew at you. Well, howdy there, pilgrim. Okay, so that's not my greatest intro, but you know what? It's an intro. Live with it. Hello, everyone. I am Christopher Chapman, and this is the Going Postal Cast Incarceration, Episode 14. So I hope everyone had a great holiday, a great Christmas, a great Kwanzaa, whatever you had, Hanukkah. I hope you had a great holiday, and I hope that you're not 50 pounds heavier than you were the last time you listened to the show. I'm a few pounds heavier, but my kids got a video game that apparently I can work off the extra pounds. I haven't used it yet. It's this uh, game for the Wii, Just Dance 3, or something like that. My girlfriend's been playing it, playing some kind of Black Eyed Peas song where her arms are just flailing in the air, and it's kind of fun to watch. So I guess if I want to look like a complete dork and grab a Wii remote and start flailing wildly about and possibly taking out some plants, maybe a pet or two, yeah, then I'll go for it and maybe drop a couple of these pounds that I put on. So I thought that I would take this episode to kind of do a wrap-up. This is the last episode of the year of 2012, and the next time you will hear my sultry tones will be in 2013. So I thought, well, let's kind of do a wrap-up of 2012 and kind of look ahead to 2013. Now, granted, I've only been doing this since September, so there's not a lot to talk about. But, so, shouldn't take too long, let's kind of zip through this. So 2012 saw the formation of Going Postal Publishing. On September 17th, that's when the first episode of the Going Postal cast was placed onto iTunes, and all of you had the opportunity to download and listen. That was a meet-and-greet episode, no story. That was followed up by the story, The First Zombie, and then right after that, episode 3 became the first episode of Incarceration. And that's what you've been listening to ever since, except for one episode, a bonus episode of The Halloween Bus, which was a special Halloween edition. 2012 also saw the release of Incarceration as a trade paperback book, as well as an ebook for the Kindle, for the iBook store, as well as the Nook. The Candidate was also released as an ebook only for the same three formats that I just mentioned. As far as sales are going, well, I'm not Stephen King. That's all I can say. I'm not living in a giant mansion in Maine. I don't own my own baseball field. I don't even have my own radio station. What I have are four kids, an old laptop, and a whole lot of love. 
or something like that. So that kind of sums up 2012 pretty well. Not a lot going on since it's only been a few months. So 2013, what can you expect from Going Postal Publishing as well as myself in 2013? Well, as you already know, we're going to have a new book coming out in July or August, and that is Daddy's Little Girl. That is a kind of a horror-slash-thriller story about a woman who is just kind of pushed beyond her means, and bad things are happening to her family. She's threatened, and it's just not looking good, and she goes nuts, and bad things happen. So that's a story that's coming out in July or August of 2013. There will also be a couple new short stories released in 2013. I haven't decided how many I'm going to release. I have about 9 or 10 finished. I might do a little polishing on them and kind of sneak some in between Incarceration and Daddy's Little Girl, which, yes, Daddy's Little Girl is going to be podcasted as well, so you can kind of look forward to that. As far as going postal publishing goes, I am aiming to get somebody else in the fold of going postal publishing sometime in 2013 as well. I have been talking with somebody who is interested in bringing some of his creativity to going postal publishing in the form of his own probably ebooks and possibly some print books as well. That is still ongoing, so uh, you'll hear more about it if things start coming to fruition. There are also a few other things in the works, but I can't really go into that right now. I don't want to promise anything that I might not be able to get to this year, but I have a few other non-book projects that I'm working on as well. So keep uh, ear to the ground for that. It might happen. It might not happen, but I kind of want to just throw it out there. I'm looking to expand a few things as well. All right, so that's done. And now let's get into this week's question and unwrap this. All right. I like doing it like this. this I print it out so it, it adds a little something to it. And I have a few of them, so I don't even know which one I'm going to read this week. Ah, this one comes from Tim. And Tim writes, well, he writes, how many more of these incarceration or death has come or whatever you want to call it books do I have to sit through? Well, Tim, I don't know if you're actually sitting through them, but uh, if you're reading them, you can kind of expect at least three or four books, probably more like five or six. I have the first three books already mapped out in my mind. The second one is written, and I don't think I've mentioned it before, but that one's going to be called Homecoming. I might have posted it on the site already, but the second Death Has Come book, the sequel to Incarceration, is going to be called Homecoming. So maybe you kind of have an idea of what it might be about already. So you'll have to uh, wait and see, though. The third book I was originally supposed to start writing in January, but I'm going to postpone that a little bit and still have it done sometime in 2013. I'm going to write it in 2013 for sure, 
but I want to make sure that I get Daddy's Little Girl completely polished, everything recorded, and have better audio quality on Daddy's Little Girl than I've had with incarceration. So I want to give myself some extra time to make sure I get that done. And that's going to be happening all within the next couple of weeks, couple of months. I'm going to be throwing all that together. But so we have at least three books of incarceration, Death Has Come, and probably a few more after that. I have a lot of ideas for it, and I think that there's just so much story there to tell. If once you get into the end of book one and you know that, okay, we haven't gotten very far, but okay, we're moving on. And then in book two, which only one person besides myself has read so far, there are some major twists and turns in that one that kind of have to be told and have to be added to uh, for a third book. So there's just a lot going on. All right, so let's get into this week's chapters of incarceration. I'll be back afterwards to kind of wrap things up and get this promotion, get the promotional stuff out of the way. Chapter 26. 16 years was a long time to be away from the house, but here he was again. Jason Rangel had returned home. He stared at the house, standing as it always had. He couldn't believe how nothing on it had changed in 16 years, not even the paint job. The windows were all dark as the sun went down behind him. Night was coming. Jason looked for some place to hide. He didn't want to be out in the dark. That's when bad things happened. A light flickered to life from inside the house. He stared at the light as it called to him like a beacon. It was coming from his parents' room. He raced to the door, swinging the doors open quickly. He turned left, racing up the flight of stairs two at a time. He moved down the hallway to the closed door at the end of the hall. He took a deep breath, reaching out for the door handle. It felt so cold in his hands. He twisted the knob and heard the click as the door opened. It swung inward, unveiling the bedroom that his mother and father had died in. He slowly entered, not knowing what to expect. He looked towards the bed, hoping to see something familiar. Yes, they were there. Two lumps were formed under a white sheet. His parents were under that sheet, hiding in the night, just as he always had. They were alive. Feeling his emotions swell up inside him, he raced to the bed and threw back the sheet. When he saw what was underneath, he screamed. Jason Rangel opened his eyes, breaking the dream. What he saw was very familiar. So familiar that it was the same sight he'd seen every day for nearly 16 years. Small room, brick wall, and a dirty toilet. It was all the same. Nothing changed around here. Even his roommate was the same, albeit much older than when he'd first arrived. He took a deep breath, relieved to be out of the dream. This wasn't the first time he'd had that, or a similar dream. He'd had the dream so many times that he thought he would have been used to it by now. That wasn't the case. Each and every time he'd had the dream had left him the exact same way. Sweaty with a racing heart. Jason sat on the end of the bed, running his hands through his hair. He stared ahead at the wall as the light started to fade. Good. I woke up in time. 
Despite the amount of time that had passed, one thing remained the same for Jason. He still didn't sleep at night. Prison had become a great place for him for one reason. It was always light out. Lights in the corridors always gave Jason some light, even in the middle of the night. He didn't sleep at night because that's when he knew the killer would come to finish the job. For the past 15 years, he'd slept during the day so he'd be awake at night. In the entire 16 years, he'd never had more than two hours of sleep during any given night. He was always very careful to make sure he got enough sleep during the day, ensuring that he would be tired when night came. Rick had thought he was strange at first. After a while, he hadn't minded so much. He'd gotten used to it and passed it off as one of Jason's quirks. Jason looked down at his left arm and the tattoo that looked back up at him. It was a crude design, but it was something he looked at every day. It was a rough drawing of the man, Monster, that murdered his parents. Because of the unique way the monster had looked, Jason had learned to do his own tattoos, something that was easier said than done in prison. When Jason entered prison, he was oblivious to what real prison was all about. He had no idea how resourceful these men could be. For instance, he would have never thought in a million years that you could make a tattoo gun using little more than the motor from a tape deck. He'd had to be very careful. COs were always on the lookout for inmates that were using their tape decks for this purpose. If you were caught, that meant time in the hole. Even if a CO found that the motor was missing from within your radio, that meant time in the hole. Sixteen years after first being introduced to prison life, he'd somehow avoided that punishment. As well as his custom tattoo gun, he also learned all the different ways he could kill other inmates. He found out how he could turn plastic bags into a knife. That was an interesting story. He also found out how using a hollow pen to stab a man was particularly useful because the pen prevented the blood from clotting. One thing he'd learned in regards to protection from attack was strapping magazines around your body. Those came in handy when getting into a fight. He'd only been in one fight in 15 years, and magazines saved his life. He was in the yard when it happened. Being in the yard was rare for him. He used the day especially yard time, to get some extra sleep. He'd wrapped himself in the magazines just in case. His instincts turned out to be life-saving. Fifteen minutes into yard time, he looked down and saw the shadow of a man approaching from behind. His heart raced and his breathing quickened when he suspected what was coming. He turned in time to see a large blonde man extend his hand. He felt a strange pressure in his stomach. He moved back moving his hands over something that was extending from his abdomen. He dropped to the ground, trying desperately to relieve the pressure. His hands pinched at the small metallic object, but couldn't gain purchase. Stupid son of a bitch, the blonde man said, making it sound like one word. What'd you do with those bodies? Did you fuck them? He was now standing over Jason, his face less than five inches away. Now you're gonna die! A CO approached removing the blonde man from the scene. He dropped to one knee and started working at Jason's shirt. He ripped the shirt open, exposing a stomach loaded with copies of People magazine as well as issues of Sports Illustrated. The end of a spork stuck out of a picture of Mel Gibson. Blood had started to appear out of the puncture. The CO, a man named Gill, ripped the magazines away until there was nothing but the Mel Gibson and the spork. Get it out! Jason yelled through clenched teeth, pleading with Gil. 
I don't want to die. Not this way. I should get you to a medic, Gil said. No, Jason said. Do it now. Gil looked around for somebody. When he didn't see who or what he was looking for, he reached down and grabbed hold of the spork. He pulled at it. Jason screamed as the spork slid out of his stomach. The Mel Gibson magazine was tossed aside, showing a stomach that had a small puncture wound in it. The spork had been modified. Somebody, likely Blondie, had melted the ends, turning it into more of a knife than a spork. You're damn lucky, Gil said. It went in about a half inch. A couple stitches and you should be good as new. He never got those stitches, but luckily it turned out to be fine. If it hadn't been for his protective magazines, there was no telling how much damage the modified spork would have done. He'd always thought that it would have likely ruptured his stomach, spilling stomach acid into his intestines and kill him slowly. That hadn't been the case, and as it turned out, he was fine. The blonde attacker spent significant time in the hole for his actions, and Jason reaffirmed his belief in sleeping through the day so he could stay up through the night. A magazine saving his life was amazing every time he thought about it. How many people can say that a magazine saved their lives? He didn't know the answer, but outside of prison, he didn't think that it happened a whole hell of a lot. That made him think of what Rick had said on that first day. He'd said how there were no rules here, that most people didn't even know where here was. That was completely true. In the last 16 years, he'd witnessed the CO killing an inmate on 13 separate occasions, either in self-defense or because the inmate had it coming for one reason or another, and those are only the ones he'd seen. Each of those COs was still working today. As far as people knowing about it, not many did. He'd had one visitor in 15 years, and to this day he is unsure if she had been driven here by somebody looking to keep the place secret. The bottom line was that Rick was 100% right. People didn't visit the inmates here. Even Rick hadn't had more than one visitor in the time they'd known each other. Jason honestly believed that each inmate was given one visitor for every decade or so. The visitors would need to fill out an application, be drugged, and driven to the secret location where they would visit and start the process all over again. He seriously doubted if he'd ever see another visitor. It had already been over 15 years since his last, and he doubted that she would ever think about making a return trip. That visit ended very badly for both of them. He understood why she would never want to see him again. He shook away the cobwebs of his inner mind as the last of the light drifted away from the day. He got up and walked to the toilet and sink. He did his business in the toilet, then washed himself in the sink. He looked at himself in the reflection the water gave and no longer liked what he saw. The Jason Wrangle that had been alive 15 years ago was dead. What he saw in the reflection was somebody else. He had changed a lot in the nearly 16 years. For one thing, he hadn't had an anger flare-up in over a decade and had managed to keep that last one rather mild. Anger aside, he didn't really look like he used to. No longer did he keep his hair trimmed and washed. Now his hair ran down past his shoulders and gave a shine that only a lack of wash could bring. He did wash his hair, but usually only once a week. The same went for bathing. The less time he could spend in the showers, the better. Larger, more muscular ones had replaced the average arms that had helped beat Nathan Paulson down, sending him to the hospital. One of the few things he took pride in was the added strength he'd given himself. At first he did it for self-defense, in case somebody tried to fight him in the yard. 
after a few years went by, he did it for one other reason, in case he ever got out. He wanted to be stronger in case he was ever able to see the outside of the prison again. He wanted to make sure that if he ever got out, he would physically be ready to defend himself if he ever came face to face with that monster. That was one of the things that had really changed for him over the years. His recollection of what happened on the night his parents died had become a foggy haze. There were many times that he had to remind himself that he hadn't killed his mother and father, and even more often he had to concentrate to remember what the killer had looked like. That's why he'd given himself the tattoo. It was the one thing that reminded him of the fading truth. He moved to the window and looked outside. His window was small, one foot by one foot. Steel bars ran up and down every two inches, making escape through the small space impossible. He came to the window every now and then. Looking out into the yard at night was something he did to pass the time. He wanted to be awake at night. He just didn't have anything he could do. Reading was out of the question. The little bit of light he had made reading text next to impossible. After that, there was almost nothing else to do while locked in the cell. He'd heard of some prisons allowing you to buy a television. Not here. He had a radio, but no headphones to listen to while Rick slept. All he had was looking out the window. The interesting thing about watching the yard at night was how the lights from the guard tower swarmed across the yard, searching every possible inch for possible escapees. He stared out at the lights, watching as they revealed grass, grass, and more grass. There was never anything spectacular to see out there, but he did it anyways. The lights swirled, coming together and moving apart. They moved in a circular fashion, and they moved in a straight line. There really was no pattern to it. He felt as if he'd drive himself mad trying to find the pattern. He was about to give up watching for a little while when something caught his eye. He looked out into the darkness, waiting for the lights to return to the spot he'd been looking at. Had he seen something? He doubted it. He'd never seen anything out there before. Why would now be any different? The lights came back around to the spot, unveiling a man. Jason blinked and then found that he couldn't stop staring. His eyes locked on the figure before him. It was familiar, yet it was foreign. The figure stood tall with flowing long hair that was greasy and ratty. His face was old, but hadn't aged in the 16 years since the last time he'd seen it. It was the man, Monster, who murdered his parents. Oh shit, Jason said, not loud enough to stir Rick. He couldn't stop looking. The light had already moved on, casting the area in darkness once again. Had somebody in the tower seen him? How could they have missed him? They saw everything. The light would be back on that spot within seconds, especially if somebody had seen something. The light moved back. He saw... nothing. He was gone, if he'd been there at all. Jason moved away from the window. Something wasn't right. Had he seen what he thought he'd seen? No. That was impossible. This prison was like a fortress. He'd seen firsthand how difficult it would have been for anyone to break out or into this place when he first arrived 16 years ago. Things had become even more secure since then. At least, that's what he'd been told by several other inmates. Apparently, they now had a device that could view infrared and heat signatures in the yard and the surrounding areas. He wasn't exactly sure how that worked, but he knew that it was top-notch. There were also the electric fences. He went back to the window, 
sure that he'd seen something. He stared back into the darkness, but still didn't see anything but grass. It was all just a figment of his imagination. He supposed that he was creating undue stress for himself. The 16th anniversary of the murders was a little over two months away. Each year as the anniversary approached, he found himself regretting everything that had happened, especially the fight he'd had with his mother and father right before they died. That had to be it. That was why he'd seen what he saw. He moved back away from the window, intending not to look out the window anymore that night. He decided that he was going to stay in his bed. He wouldn't go to sleep. Sleep was out of the question. After what he thought he'd seen, he could never sleep in the dark. He was going to stay awake, making sure that he could see him if he came to get him. Maybe he was already here. He really had seen him out there, and tonight was the night. He would stay up the rest of the night and make sure that it wasn't. If it were the night, he'd be waiting. Chapter 27 Jason fell asleep at about 5 that morning, just as the sun was coming up. As the sun moved higher into the sky, Jason's eyes began to close. He slept until it was time for breakfast at 8. He walked to breakfast with Rick, refusing to say anything about what happened. Rick didn't seem to know anything about what happened. He kept quiet as they walked together. After breakfast, which consisted of some of the runniest eggs Jason had ever eaten, he decided he was going to go out into the yard. He didn't plan on being out there all that long, so he'd still be back to sleep shortly. One of the things that a lot of prisoners did while in the yard was walk. A path had been worn in the grass, circling the yard like a track circles a high school football field. He walked alone, never taking his eyes off the spot in the grass where he'd seen the killer the night before. He wanted to go over there, but was afraid of what he might find. Finally, after two more laps, he worked up the courage and walked over there. He moved to the spot where he'd thought he'd seen the killer and looked down. He examined the grass, not really knowing what he was looking for. Should there have been footprints here? Should there have been impressions in the grass? He didn't see either. All he saw was grass. His imagination really had gotten the better of him last night. Now he was suddenly glad that he hadn't gone off the deep end about it, possibly waking Rick to show him something that hadn't been there at all. He was about to return to his cell when he had the strange feeling that somebody was watching him. That wasn't uncommon in prison to feel as if he were being watched. When you were in the yard with 50 or 60 other people at the same time, somebody was likely to be looking your way, especially if you were doing something strange. He imagined that studying the grass would rank up there with something strange. He looked up, scanning the yard. He saw a lot of guys walking. He saw that some guys had gone into the small pavilion that housed some weightlifting gear. Then he saw an older man, possibly in his early 50s, looking at him intently. The man was staring, as if he were a fighter pilot that had just locked onto his target. The man wasn't blinking as he stared. The man had silver hair and the start of wrinkles on his forehead and cheeks. He wore glasses, but Jason imagined that they wouldn't last very long. Glasses were usually destroyed quickly here. Other inmates had a way of being attracted to glasses, smashing them whenever they had the chance. This guy had to be new. Jason knew that a busload of prisoners had come in a few days earlier. Rick had told him. Since the current warden, Scott Yamry, took office eight years ago, he'd allowed prisoners to go out into the yard to watch as the buses came in. 
It was a way for the prisoners to see the new additions and a way to scare the new guys as they got their first real look at prison life as they came in. Jason was glad that he hadn't had to deal with that when he came here. He was already scared enough when he arrived. The old man was still staring. Jason thought about approaching him and saying something to him, but he was unprepared. He hadn't intended on coming out into the yard this morning, so he wasn't wearing his magazine protection. He thought he could get by without it today, but it was never wise to do it too often, especially when you already had a bullseye painted on your back the way he did. If he didn't remember next time, he took a risk of getting himself into big trouble. Instead of confronting the man, Jason did the only other thing he could think of. He nodded. It wasn't much, something that guys do when they acknowledge one another. But he did it. He didn't get anything in return. The man kept staring at him. Knowing when it was time to make an exit, Jason went inside to forget about the old man. He went right back to his cell and was fast asleep. Noon was when they served dinner. In prison, they don't share the same eating schedule as the rest of the world. Instead of the conventional breakfast, lunch, and dinner schedule, they have breakfast, dinner, and chow. A proper name given to it by inmates now long forgotten. It was their language and that's how they ate their meals. He sat alone at dinner, munching down something that was supposed to resemble pizza. He'd eaten cafeteria pizza when he was in elementary school, and even that seemed like a delicacy when compared to this stuff. The crust was close to liquefied, as was the cheese and sauce. The topping included small red squares that might have been pepperoni, or if you were feeling extra naughty that day, small hamburger balls that may or may not have been sausage. He ate two helpings. He couldn't help it. Despite how rancid the food was, he ate because there was nothing else to eat. It wasn't like he could walk out of here, find his way to the nearest McDonald's, and eat Big Macs until his heart and stomach was content. This is what they served, and this was what he had to eat if he wanted food. It was a little like what his mother used to do to him when he was a little kid. She'd say, If you don't like what I made for you, you can go without. Despite the change of scenery, Jason once again felt as if he were being watched. His eyes quickly scanned the room, looking specifically for the old man. It was hard to pick out one person in a room filled with hundreds of prisoners and 20 COs. He turned around, and there he was. The old man was behind him, two tables away. He was eating the same crappy food that Jason was, but he stared at him. Food hanging from his mouth, dribbling to the table little by little. Sauce streaked his chin. Jason stood and walked out. He didn't want anything to do with the old man. He seemed like one of the guys that might be crazy enough to do something to him. He'd lasted all these years in a prison that was known internally as a place where prisoners came to disappear by knowing when to walk away. He'd gotten lucky once. He didn't like his chances if something were to happen again. He walked back to his cell, following the corridor quickly as he looked back over his shoulder constantly. Was he being followed? No, he was alone. He lied back down in his cell. It was time to get some more sleep. The old man and his staring were already forgotten. He fell asleep once more. He didn't know that the old man was already watching him. Alright, I am back. I hope all of you are enjoying incarceration. And I just want to take a moment before I get into the promotional stuff and just say thank you. I want to say thank you to all of you who have been downloading so far and 
you know, just supporting the podcast by just listening to it. And I appreciate it. And I appreciate all of you who have purchased incarceration. I appreciate all of you who have purchased the candidate. All of you who have just made this dream of mine come true. I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, I don't think I had done that before. I'm doing it now and I hope to do it more often. All right, time for the shameless self-promotions. Of course, incarceration is available as a print trade paperback. You can get that on Amazon. You can get it on the website, goingpostalpublishing.com. It is also available as an ebook. You can get it on the Nook store, on the Kindle store, iBook store, and those are only $3.99. I strongly encourage if you want to read Incarceration, that's the way to go. Do you have questions, comments, cheap shots? Do you want to have your question read on the podcast? You can send that to goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. I do read each and every one of them, and I do answer them individually. Facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. Twitter.com slash goingpostalpub. We have a YouTube page. And if you want to help out the podcast or me or whatever, you want to help get better equipment so we can have better sound quality, so I can build a proper studio, well, you can do that by simply clicking on the banner at goingpostalpublishing.com, the Amazon banner. Click through and go and do all of your purchases that you would do through Amazon anyway. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and I get a couple pennies on the backside just for you shopping and clicking through the banner. Phew, got through all that kind of quick, so that's going to wrap up this episode. I'm going to be back in 2013 for more incarceration and more stories from Going Postal Publishing and myself, Christopher Chapman. Y'all come back now, ye. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing. 